Well, listen, thanks everyone so much for joining me on that, what was to me at least, an amazing, amazing journey to Poland, to a whole new way of thinking, to a mind blown wide by uh, an incredibly kind and, and generous and curious and intellectual and powerful people. I mean, I will admit I sound a smidge like a fanboy, but when you've spent your entire public career hiding from violent people and giving speeches with bomb threats and terrorist threats and death threats and so on, it's really, really nice to just be able, I mean, I, I still get emotional thinking about it, just to be able to stand and enjoy intellectual conversation without fear of violence. It's really, really something else. So thank you. And, and Merry Christmas to everyone. I am very pleased with the way it came out. And it is, it's a funny thing, you know, because just here in the camera with, with me in the studio, when you have people out there and, you know, when emotions strike you and there's someone's camera kind of half up your nose, it's an, an odd but interesting <laughs> feeling. And so uh, thank you. Thank you, everyone, so much. Uh, it's it's a, an amazing uh, privilege to be able to do this kind of work. And so let me just uh, see if I can get a hold of here what I need to get a hold of uh, in order to... Uh, be able to check out the super chats and also ask questions as a whole. And listen, listen, my friends, please, please, please. You heard the donation request. I'm not going to repeat that because you're <laughs> mature and wise people if you listen to this show. But the sharing is very, very important. I know it can be a little dicey, <laughs> but uh, do you know what's funny? It's funny for me. I had this thought when I was uh, working on that final speech. And uh, by the way, I'm sort of a one-take wonder, which is kind of cool. But uh, I was thinking about this. And tell me what you guys think about it, if it sort of makes sense. So I remember reading many years ago about Malcolm X and how he, you know, thought all the white people were devils and so on. And then he went to an African country and he met some nice people, uh, nice white people, and he went sort of around and, and it sort of changed his view. And I think that in particular for Malcolm X, who obviously faced some dysfunction, some racism, some ghetto issues when he was growing up, for him to sort of get out of that environment and to get a view of his society without reference from within his society was really quite something. And I think I had a little bit of a Malcolm X moment, or as a friend of mine joked, a Malcolm the Tenth moment. But I think I had a bit of a Malcolm the X moment when I was in another country and, and, and could speak freely and, and meet with people. Uh, it, it's, like, it's, such a, it's such a weight off your mind. It's such a burden off your mind to be able to speak that freely and, and reason that openly and so on. And ah, it's wild. It's, it's, really, it's really wild. And, uh, you know, I, I strongly, strongly encourage people who have faced a lot of opposition in, in your existing societies, as I have, to go, <laughs> to go to Poland and to just talk your mind, speak your mind, ask people, think about what's going on and, and see how you feel when you're there. It really is something that is amazing to see. And uh, so, okay, a couple of questions um, and comments, and, and I'm just going to um, uh, 
Uh, yeah, Poland will save Europe as it has once before. And yeah, new background equals chill stream. Uh, how many people speak English in Poland? Well, a lot. <laughs> and that's partly because Poland is a European country. It looks to the West sometimes more than it looks to the East. And of course, I had a pre-selected group. So I had a fellow who was organizing the whole documentary. And what he did was he obviously chose people who could speak English. And we did some on the street interviews where there was, he was translating and so on. And you saw a few of those in the documentary. But uh, for the most part, uh, just about everybody I ran into spoke English and uh, all of that. So that is, uh, uh, you won't have any problem in general. I mean, obviously I would imagine like most places, if you stay to the cities and so on, you won't have any real problems. If you go to Poland with, um, with, with speaking English. Like, you know, I have this good slash bad habit of, of doing things like um, uh, chatting with waiters and, and so on. And uh, all of that is um, pretty tempting to, uh, uh, to, to get involved in. And, and if you speak English and they speak English, you can do all of that. So I didn't really have much of a, a problem with that. So I'm going to do a couple of uh, top chats as well. Uh, in case you want to, you feel free to throw some money in. I'll, I'll just try and keep everyone going here. But um, <laughs> what did I think of Australia after Lauren and I left? Well, I like... It's, you know, here's the funny thing. Here's the funny thing. So I like most of the individuals that I meet. If I'm able to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation, it's very rare. They'll just out and out dislike someone. Don't get me wrong, it does happen, but it's not hugely common. When people get together in groups, when they get together particularly in anti-rational ideologies, their humanity tends to get scrubbed away, they tend to get a hive mind, they tend to, uh, then you get the in-group, out-group stuff that I was talking about in the graveyard scene. So in Australia, just about every individual I met was interesting and nice and pleasant. But then when they get together in ideological mobs like Antifa and so on, and this also happens with uh, the people out there LARPing as Nazis and so on, then it is, um, it becomes a problem. We, we think individually, collectively, and I know because I've got this whole messed up, ambivalent, ambiguous relationship with collectivism at the moment, which I'm still slicing and dicing in my own mind. But I love just about everyone I met in Australia, with the exception of a few protesters where love was a little hard to find. But I really, really did enjoy my time there. And I think that Lauren and I did a lot of good, even though we didn't end up being able to speak because of threats probably in um, New Zealand. We did a lot of good because just by coming there and trying to speak, we opened up a lot of questions about free speech that people really hadn't been thinking about for quite some time. So yeah, I think we did a lot of good. And uh, I really, really liked just about everyone I met. And uh, so, Steph, when is the European tour coming? Well, that is, um, I, I want to do it, but that is to some degree up to you. And uh, so, again, freedomainradio.com slash donate. If you want to help out, I would really, really like to do a European tour. Um, I got to tell you, though, I mean, there's a reason why I picked Poland for my first documentary because in particular, I mean, I talked about it over a year ago, but in particular, it's because security costs in Poland, well, are much lower. And because of that, uh, can you imagine the security that I'm gonna need in say France?
And it's such an odd thing to think. But uh, it, would be, uh, it would be tough. It would be tough. No way you'll be allowed in the UK. I grew up in the UK. It's really not a big issue. So, um, so yeah, I would really like to do uh, more, more of these kinds of tours. And, I re you know, and even with this, we got a lot of great interviews. I really, really wanted to keep it at an hour. And, you know, I'm aware there's a lot of me in it. But it's a lot of me synthesizing the stuff that I have gotten from a whole bunch of interview subjects. The interviews were all good, very interesting, very engaging. But you can't really dip in and out of them because people are building a lengthy case. So I'd like to release more of the interviews, of course. But... Um, uh, in order to keep the uh, documentary at about an hour, um, I did have to sort of synthesize and compress a whole bunch of stuff. And I hope, uh, you know, I'm responsible for everything, of course, that is said. None of this has to do with the interview subjects. But uh, I did try and uh, filter and, and, and grind down into hopefully a useful diamond some of the coals of the uh, interview, le the lengthy interview topics. And it certainly did inform what I was doing as a whole. So. So I should try visiting Eastern Europe before we get another war between the Serbs and the Kos and Kosovo, Serbia and Kosovo. Can we volunteer as your security? That's very, very kind. Uh, but uh, it's sort of like dentistry. I really want to leave it to the pros. So, uh, you know, if, if you do uh, have experience with this uh, and we do do it, please, you know, let me know and all that kind of stuff. But uh, um, so... Yes, the music does add a lot. I think the documentary format is really good. It's really, really good. And Kaylin Robertson uh, was the uh, cameraman, and more than just the cameraman, like that sounds like standing there with a the camera, but uh, he really is the visionary brilliance behind how the documentary looks and to some degree how it feels. I mean, I certainly brought the emotion, I brought the passion and all of that. I think I brought some clarity. But, um, yeah, Kalen uh, is responsible for the look, the feel. He generally assembled the movie, uh, create, uh, provided the music and all of that. And uh, so I, that is, yeah, it makes me look, look good. And uh, I really, really appreciate that. So, all right. Name the Blue Jay. I quite stand. Uh, will you share your views of Poland with your friends, like Ben Shapiro or Dave Rubin? I think your great experience is worth it. Um... Pretty sure that, I don't know about Ben Shapiro or Dave Rubin, but I did have a bit of a tangle fest with Brett Weinstein and, uh, what's his name, David Pacman, which is kind of a funny name, but anyway, uh, because they were, uh, Brett Weinstein on Twitter was kind of calling my argument stupid about race and IQ, ethnic differences, human biodiversity, and so on. And so... Um, I got a little, I've had this kind of don't engage philosophy for quite some time, but post-Poland, I'm like, hmm, the high road kind of leads off a cliff. So yeah, I did, uh, I did engage and uh, fought back hard with reason. I think, so people all, all were calling me stupid about differences in intelligence and IQ and human biodiversity. And, you know, I put a few rebuttals back, but let the mob gather. You want to let the mob gather and really whip themselves into a frenzy uh, in the same way it's more fun to pop a balloon when it's inflated rather than when it's just a little inflated, but it's right out there, you get a bigger bang. So for about a day and a half, I let the rabid, feral, anti-science mob, you know, call me idiots and, 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 and call me an idiot and uninformed and this and that and the other. And then um, I mic dropped a moment where I said, okay, well, if I don't, you know, here, here's how little I know. And I, I put my playlist together and uh, oh, the playlist has been together forever, but I dropped on Twitter, 18 
world-accredited, world-renowned experts in the field of human intelligence, my interview series over the last couple of years with 18 top-tier people in the field, and said, here's how little I know. I've just read these guys' books, read their articles, interviewed them, gotten feedback, and, and so on. What do I know, you know? So that was kind of fun. And then I think it was Dave Pacman, who's Jewish, was something like, you know, why don't you just call yourself a white supremacist or whatever it is? And this white supremacy thing is kind of boring. It's so stupid. You know, I mean, if you love your own wife, it doesn't mean that you think your own wife is supremacist to everyone else. You hate everyone, everyone else's wife. You hate all women. It's just, eh. And of course, you know, when it comes to the IQ stuff, given that whites kind of float somewhere in the middle, the idea that it's a supremacist measure is kind of ridiculous. <laughs> but what I did with Dave, David Pacman was... I said, uh, and it's not that hard to find, right? So I looked up and I found a Jewish lawmaker, right, in Israel, who had basically said that Jews were the master race, Jews were the best, the Jews were superior to all, all the other races. And so I tweeted at him, at David Pacman, and I said, uh, wow, you know, I really hate ethnic supremacists too. So this guy's like, he's pretty influential, he's pretty powerful. This guy's a lawmaker in Israel, and he's an ethnic supremacist. Let's get the word out. Let's try and take him down. <laughs> and what do you think happened from there? <whistles> Radio silence, of course. Radio silence. Obviously. <laughs> Obviously, right? So anyway, it's just, uh, you just have to, you just have to have these fights, I guess. I've been trying to sort of take the high road and, and I haven't really been that interested in these kinds of fights, but there's something about Poland that rightly or wrongly put me on the, okay, well, we've got to have these dust-ups, you know, because if we don't have these dust-ups, we're going to have some real problems coming down. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's tough, you know, because if you call other people ethnic supremacists, like another group, and then someone points out the ethnic supremacist in your own group and you don't address it, then clearly you don't give a rat's ass about ethnic supremacy. You're just trying to prevent any other group from having in-group preferences. Sure, I understand that. <laughs> you know, like if you're a soccer coach and you can convince the other team to pass to your team and your team only passes to yourself, you get to win the match. It's a pretty sweet way of doing it. And that's the bad news. The good news is it's very easy to combat logically. So... All right. Any word on the release date for Hoaxed? I believe it is close to imminent. That's the last that I've heard. And it's actually interesting to me, maybe it'd be interesting to you, I don't know, it's interesting to me, that um, some of this documentary, I mean, I had the idea for the documentary, and, and you know, Tommy had, had something to do with it. But after I saw what I did in Hoaxed with the camera, I thought, wow, I'm, you know, there's stuff I'm not good at. Being on camera and, and communicating, well, that's something I am good at. And so I wanted to do that to some degree because I saw really high production values and a really good scene in Hoax, which I sort of won't tell you about. It would be a nice surprise for you, I'm sure. But that's one of the reasons why I thought, wow, let's get a camera crew out there and, and we'll spend a week and, and we'll get as much footage as we can and talk as much about things that matter. And uh... so, yeah, I really, really do thank the filmmakers for Hoax for helping me get a, a view of, of how I look and how I work with the camera. Now, I mean, I'm in the studio here, so, but it's kind of different. <laughs> you know, it's just you, me, a hand puppet, and um, 
you know, four little vats of baby oil for reasons I probably won't go into right now. But, um, yeah. So, Pac-Man and Weinstein must be another Cohen incidence. So, yeah. I mean, people always like, and, and you guys got to cool it on the Jewish question stuff. Like, you really, really do. I mean, I've certainly talked about it a number of times, but just it, it, do better. Just just improve and, and do better. And um, if, if you feel some other group is, is superior or, or is, is um, dominating things, then just up your game. If there's another team that continues to continually beats your team, I guess you can get mad at the other team. Or, or you can just train harder yourself, you know. And and so, I don't know. It's it's very passive and it's very um, empty uh, to to complain. So that is what you want to do. I don't. Yes, there are Jews who have in-group preferences. There are Catholics who have in-group preferences. There are Hindus who have in-group preferences, and. One of the solutions for that may be, which I saw in Poland, okay, well, it's okay for whites to have in-group preferences. And if it's not, well, that's just straight-up racist, and you keep pointing it out, and you keep pointing it out. But I don't really think too much about other groups and whether they're in control or, or, or dominating certain fields and so on. What I think about is, how can I produce the best possible quality content? That, that's all, all I think about. That's all I think about. And I believe that if I really, really focus on producing the best quality content, I'm going to win. We're going to win. The truth is going to win. Philosophy is going to win. And that's really my focus. So spending a lot of time focusing on other groups and resenting other groups and being enraged at other groups and researching historical things, uh, I'm going to say it has no value. You know, like I, I was, um, somebody tweeted at me, uh, or I think it was in a reply to one of my comments, the Jewish role in the transatlantic slave trade and the Jewish role in selling slaves to the Arabs and slaves to uh, North America and so on. And I've heard that kind of stuff before. I think it's interesting, but, you know, as far it, it's sort of like the, the question of the Jewish influence on communism, right? Well, this person was a quarter Jewish and this person was a half Jewish. And it's like, I don't know. I, like, I don't know. I do know, of course, that there was some, like Karl Marx was, uh, well, kind of a Jew-hating Jew. Uh, and... Um, uh, uh, Lenin, wasn't he half or something like that? But it's like when you are trying to unpack the hereditary influences of people who swept to power over 100 years ago, rather than coming up with great, wonderful things in the here and now, I just don't know about that. I just don't know about that. Should make a video about Rhodesia. Well, actually, here's the funny thing. I do actually have a PowerPoint deck about Zimbabwe, but it's really long. <laughs> it's really, really long. It would be probably seven to eight hours. And so I think I'm gonna need a way to slice that baby down just a little bit before I release that. And it is, of course, kind of chilling because uh, one of the things that happens is, um, uh, it's really helpful in understanding what's going to happen in South Africa. And what's going to happen in South Africa is what's going to happen in South Africa. I wish it were different. I wish it were not going to be what's going to happen in South Africa. But it is what's going to happen in South Africa. And it is fascinating, too, because if you look at my videos on South Africa and you look at the comments underneath from what I assume are the blacks in South Africa, it is really quite a tsunami. Uh, 
a lava tsunami of pure, straight-up, anti-white racial hatred. Just torrents and torrents and torrents of it. And, uh, whew, not, not really many people talking about that. And, and this is the funny thing, right? And it's a really tragic thing. I shouldn't say it's a funny thing. It's a tragic thing because what happens is, and I see these comments all the time. You know, one of the most amazing things about the internet is not just that we have these kinds of conversations that I can make and distribute this documentary without a whole distributor. But what's amazing is the view that you get of where people's thoughts are in the world. When I mean, you look on Twitter, you look on Facebook, you look on YouTube, you look on other places, you really get an amazing view of where people's thinking is in the world. It's something that nobody really had in the past. And that is incredible and fascinating and terrifying, inspiring at times, but terrifying at times as well. So people won't really talk about that. And, and the way that the general argument goes is something like this. Well, the white Europeans colonized the world and stripped all the third world people of their resources. And now they complain when those third world people are coming into their countries, right? This is sort of the general narrative. It's kind of the low IQ gotcha, which seems compelling until... I mean, even if we take, it's not true, you know, I mean, if you want to know how well a country is doing now in the third world, look at whether it had a history of British rule. And if it did, it's probably doing pretty well. And if it didn't, it's probably doing pretty badly. But even if we accept this entire narrative is true, then what we're saying, it's a no-win situation for the Europeans. There's a no-win situation for the whites. Because <laughs> what, what the argument is, is that when white people do it, it's really bad. And when non-white people do it, well, it's blowback and they're fully justified because white people did stuff in the past. Like it makes no, so you're wrong if you do it and if you're white, if you're white and you do it, you're wrong. If you're non-white and you do it, you're right. Well, <laughs> way to get some objective ethics going there, people. And that's not, uh, it's not a valid argument, of course, right? Two wrongs don't make a right. And the other thing too is that the whites who conquered a third of the globe or whatever, they're all a hundred years dead. So how does, you know, um, welfare colonizing Europe, how is that justified based upon the actions of people who were long dead? So, all right, let me just, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sure I'm missing a couple here. Merry Christmas, Stefan. Just came back from my annual journey to Poland and I'm more than happy to be back. Poland is in a strange place now. Okay, well, let me tell you something about, and we'll, I was hoping to get this into the documentary, but it would have made it too long. And I will tell you a funny story. It's, I mean, I'm sorry, I keep, and I always nag my listeners for this, so I'm sorry about that. I keep <laughs> misusing the word funny. But in Poland, the judges who ruled, like the court judges who ruled in the communist era, some of them are still in power now. They still are running the courts now. Now, that is amazing. That, that is literally like, what is it, 20 or 30 years after the end of the Second World War, still having Nazi-appointed judges in charge of the German courts. I know some of you think it would be better, but it wouldn't be, because <laughs> they're Nazis, National Socialists. And that is an amazing thing. And Poland is in a challenging place, because they are accepting a lot of... Um, immigrants from India and so on, and 
that is going to be a challenge because of, you know, the average IQ in India is in the 80s, which means you get the smart Indians, but there's regression to the mean. Uh, there could be cousin marriage depending on the religion, and cousin marriage takes 10 plus IQ points off a general population. And then the next generation, what happens is the smart immigrants from the third world come into the West. And I can't blame them. I would too if I was a smart guy in um, India or whatever. They come to the West. And then what happens is if they marry uh, other Indians or other Sri Lankans or other Filipinos or whatever, then what happens is their kids generally fall down a little bit on the ladder of IQ and their kids' kids do as well. And that's, you know, you get tall, I don't know, I mean, I always use this tall Chinese guy example, but it doesn't really work because there's lots of tall Chinese uh, ethnicities. I don't know, some, like, some six foot two Japanese guy, like pure blood Japanese guy, comes to the West, marries Japanese girl and so on, their kids aren't going to be six foot two on average. They're going to be like five foot eight or five foot, you know, they're going to shrink back down to the standard Japanese height. It's the same thing with IQ. You get really, really smart people to come to the West and then there's a regression to the mean. And what happens is then is that their kids don't do as well because the West is still has enough vestiges of a meritocracy that it's basically a, the free market is a big IQ test. And then what happens is their kids don't do as well. And, and of course, because you're getting the smartest people from the third world coming to the West, everyone says, well, these guys are great. It's really, really smart. Wonderful people. And sure, I, I get all of that and I accept all of that. But the regression to the mean is a problem. Uh, Jason Richwine got in a lot of trouble, even though he had a Hispanic advisor and Charles Murray, for his PhD, which did an analysis of Hispanic IQ in America and said that a low IQ persists indefinitely. Like he's tracked it for three generations and the low IQ just doesn't change. And these are difficult and complicated matters. And uh, I don't know what all the solutions are. I'm definitely a fan of more freedom and I do not like at all any laws that are based on race and uh, sex. I don't like laws that target men or women or blacks or East Asians or whites or it doesn't, I don't like any of those laws because they're sexist and racist laws in, in the very deepest meaning of the word. And it is kind of funny when they, the left says there's no, such, there's no such thing as gender. Because, of course, if there is no such thing as gender, then the law should be entirely gender neutral. If there's no such thing as gender, then, of course, women should get equal sentencing to men. There should be no difference. There should be no um, difference in, in male or female prisons. Everybody should be intermingled. Uh, there should be no um, difference in how courts decide in terms of men versus women. But more importantly, there are laws that are targeted specifically to women, like equal pay for work of equal value and so on. And those laws should all be abolished because there's no such thing as gender. So how can you have laws that make men uh, pay women more or make women pay women more? How can you have maternity leaves if there's no such thing as gender, right? And if there's no such thing as race, you have to get rid of affirmative action because if race is a social construct, then affirmative action is racist because it's pretending there are differences when there aren't. I mean, if in a white population you say the darker-haired people are dumb, well, that's wrong. And, that's, 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 and if you have laws that specifically target people with darker hair, that's bigoted, right? Because Anyway, so if there's no such thing as race, you just get rid of it. But they never say that, of course. It's not really the point of the whole construct. All right, let's do another couple of questions. When are you going to stop deceiving your fans and come clean about the fact that you used to be a backup dancer for Prince? <laughs> All I'm going to be able to say about that is, pop up the volume. Oh, no, that's not his song. Anyway, you don't have to be beautiful. Anyway, uh, no, I was never, in fact, a backup dancer for Prince. <laughs> Although that would be kind of fun. And I will point out as well, the prince, super cool, though he was, the guy who believed that his electric guitar kept his hair thick and lustrous, 
but uh, super cool as he was, creative genius that he was. Man, it's rough being a performer and dancing that much. Like, one of the reasons he died was he got addicted to painkillers because his hip was so badly injured from his endless dancing on stage that he was just in constant pain. Uh, same thing happened with Michael Jackson. Like, Michael Jackson's feet were destroyed. It's like he'd put them in a wood chipper Fargo style because he'd spent so much time dancing. And also, I think he had pretty solid body dysmorphia, like Freddie Mercury style. What did he weigh, like 60 pounds or something like that near the end? All right, Daryl says, uh, great job, Steph. I hope to be able to talk with you one day. Keep up the good work. So I, I feel bad about this, and I probably shouldn't, but I do. So this is what I feel bad about. I'm still doing calls, right? I, I used to do this call-in show that would go on for like three or four or five hours, and uh, I'm not. <laughs> Yeah, I did it for like, I don't know, 11 years, and I just needed a change, which is why going out in the studio and into Poland and so on is, is cool. But um, I get so many emails for conversations. Uh, first of all, like, it's incredibly touching for me, and I, I, I'm so grateful for that level of interest. And knowing that I can provide that level of help to people from a philosophical standpoint is... Like it's a wonderful and, and beautiful thing that happens. And, and I am incredibly grateful. I literally could spend 10 hours a day recording shows of conversations with people, and I still wouldn't be done. I can't even tell you how many I get a day. And uh, it's tough. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of randomness going on uh, at the moment in the show. Things used to be more predictable. And now, uh, just because, you know, we, we've got delays, we need to do this, the documentary has this. It's just been a little bit more random so I do really want to get, uh, keep, keep these listener conversations going. So if you do want to talk one day, send me an email. I will do my best. I, I have this sort of fantasy that I can sort of freeze time one day and just do a backlog of like a huge number of calls, which would be uh, great. But I will do my best. All right. Uh, double dog bear? So serious question. How can we instill bravery in adolescent males without violating non-aggression principle? I'm a fan of rites of passage. Cowards are dangerous. <laughs> well, it really depends what kind of courage you think you need. So if it's martial courage, then you would enroll them in something like boxing or, or, or martial arts of some kind and so on. And I, I've talked some trash about that in the past, so I'm just saying if you want martial courage, you, maybe you could uh, enroll them in sword fighting or, or anything like that. Lots of different things you could do. If it's intellectual courage, which I think we still need the most, right, because... You know, the time for arguments has not passed, despite that Pinochet meme. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, teach them how to use a gun, teach them, but even teach them how to use a gun. That's helpful, but I think if you want martial courage, you need to be able to look someone in the eye, put your dukes up and make something happen, uh, consensually, of course, in a, a sports environment. If it's intellectual courage, intellectual courage comes from um, certainty, certainty of two things. Intellectual courage comes from a, a certainty that you're right, and B, a certainty that if you're silent, you're doomed, right? So once you have the necessity and the facts on your side, um, give a man a why, says Nietzsche, and he can bear almost any how. And uh, so, and I, I also, because I have been bringing up all of these taboo topics, you know, the Jewish question, race and IQ, white nationalism, identitarianism, borders, and especially given my past um, beliefs and the beliefs that I still hold, but which, you know... <laughs> Sometimes you need to take a detour uh, in order to get where you want to go. But um, I really do appreciate people saying, and, and somebody posted on Twitter, like, oh, it's magnificent courage and so on. 
And I appreciate that. It's a very, very kind. And I was saying, well, can we hold off on like the big courage stuff for like, you know, firefighters and, and, and soldiers and so on? And uh, people did sort of push back on that. And I think it was a good, it was a good point. And they did say, no, 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 it is real courage because not many people do it. Like a lot of firefighters out there, not a lot of people taking on these challenging topics. And it's tough for people because they do want to pigeonhole me as a hater. And what I say about these topics that I talk about, I say out of love. I say out of, you know, there's no reason why lower IQ people can't have a wonderfully happy life. No reason at all. IQ is not that correlated with happiness. He who increases in knowledge, says the Bible, increaseth in sorrow. And, you know, sh shorter people, so to speak, can have wonderfully happy lives, unless they're just obsessed with getting on the MBA, in which case they're just going to have an unhappy life. People of lower intelligence can have wonderfully happy, productive lives centering on family and on sports and on, you know, a wide variety of great things. On church, they can have a, a wonderful lives. But if you keep telling lower IQ people that they're the same as everyone else and, and uh, they can compete with everyone, this is the same thing with women, right? The women, oh, go out, have this wonderfully enriching career. How many people in this world have wonderfully enriching careers, have like they just wake up and they just can't wait to get to work. I mean, I have a pretty good job, but it's, uh, it's not always the easiest job <laughs> in the world, to put it mildly. But um, they have this constant sowing of hatred. It, it makes everyone miserable. It makes whites feel guilty and resentful. It makes blacks feel angry and resentful. It, it, it's divide and conquer as well. And often by the time the truth hit, it can be too late for a peaceful solution, which is a real shame. So let's see here. Uh, uh, Gary says, Stefan, will you debate IQ with JF on the public space? It would be a fascinating discussion. Uh, is that Jean, Jean-Francois? I can't remember. Debate IQ. Um, I, I, I think about it. I actually, first, before I do that, right? So I've done a, a lot of IQ work that's all over the place and I, I need to boil it down I was thinking of just doing a documentary on IQ, but I'm not sure that would be gripping enough because that'd be a lot of talking heads and not a lot of speeches in the woods. But um, I do want to put all of the arguments, and also I'm not up on the latest research. I mean, uh, I was quite surprised when Dr. Richard Howe of the scientific journal Intelligence was telling me that IQ is 80% genetic by your late teens. I'd heard sort of by your late middle age or whatever. So I got to get up on the latest research. I got to put everything together. I'll do that in a presentation. And uh, when people, if, if people have disagreements about that, then we, but right now I haven't put my data together in a way that's really compelling. It's kind of scattered. So, all right. Does Stefan even debate real intellectuals? I mostly see him just arguing with random callers. Yes, I have. <laughs> I don't know why it's so funny. Like, <laughs> so funny. <laughs> I'm sorry, I should laugh. There's this wonderful feature on YouTube. It's, it's, it's got a little, it looks like a balloon with a stick or a, it looks like maybe a magnifying glass and it's a search function. And what you can do is you can go to my channel and you can search for debate. You really, really can. And the other thing too, it's like, just because I haven't debated with person X, Y, or Z, doesn't mean that I won't debate with person X, Y, or Z. You know, I said to Brett Weinstein, who, who apparently thinks that uh, all of the experts that I talk to see what what people say to me, Steph, you're wrong. You know, when I'm just repeating what the experts say, you know, uh, you know, <laughs> if the doctor says you have lupus, right? And then he gives the message to, um, and he, he sends you the, 
message by mail, and the mailman delivers you the diagnosis of the lupus, do you argue about the diagnosis with the mailman? No, of course you don't, because you're not an idiot. So what you do is you go to the doctor and you argue with him. So when I put forward arguments that have been created by other people and people get mad at me, it's a way of avoiding the actual arguments. So I, I said I would debate with Brett Weinstein. I've said I will debate with uh, Sam Harris. I've said I would debate. And all I ask, like, I don't want to get paid for it. Let's sell tickets. Let's make a big thing out of it. And let's give the money to charity. But, you know, so the idea, oh, why doesn't he debate with X, Y, and Z? It's like, you're kind of assuming I haven't tried. And if they don't want to, well, you know, non-aggression principle means can't chloroform them and put them in a bag. You can think about it. No, just kidding. Just kidding. All right, what else do we have here? Uh, I, uh, if no one else has questions, this is from uh, Double, Dog, Double Dog Bear. Thank you. I have more questions. Can Isabella, that's my daughter, be considered to be free from parental constraint in any similar way to Aristotle? I'm not sure what you mean by similar way to Aristotle. She is, uh, uh, she is certainly at the age now, she is days away from turning 10. <laughs> I can't believe my darling angel daughter is going to be double digits in just a couple of days. It's very, very exciting. But, um, and that's another reason why the documentary has become more possible, because it's easier to travel with kids who are older than kids who are, you know, younger. It's a bit more challenging because they've got a nap and you've got uh, sleep issues and, and adjustment issues and they get easy, more easily bored and so on. But she loves these trips now. So, so as far as my daughter goes, um, there is no compulsion, of course, right? There is no uh, authority. I don't say you have to do it because I say so. If I can't make a good case, she can do it. And she's become very good at pushing back when I don't make a good case, which certainly sometimes happens. So it's, it's just a matter of negotiation. I really can't believe, you know, people say to me, parenting, whoosh, you know, it flies by, it goes by so quickly. And it's like, nope, no, it doesn't. Actually, kind of goes by just right. Just when you get kind of bored or tired of a particular phase, the new phase comes in, which is great. But um, no, uh, people say, I think, that childhood, their children's lives go by so fast because they don't see them much. You know, they, they drop them off to school, they're at daycare, they, you know, whatever, right? Uh, they're out with friends a lot. So you don't actually see the kids that much. Like if you saw every 10th frame of my documentary, it would go by in, what, six minutes. It's like, wow, that was a quick documentary. It's like, yeah, because you're only watching every 10th frame. If you spend a lot of time with your kids, as we're designed to do, then I think it goes by just right. I'm sorry if that didn't answer your question, but <laughs> I, can, I can't believe. So she's 10, which means it's as, it's as far to get her to 18 as it was from 2 to 10, like eight years, right? I mean, it's wild, wild. All right. Sean says, tonight my girlfriend and I almost broke up due to my temper. I lose my shite and say horrid things I do not mean. Do you have any advice on how to handle anger management? Also sent an email with details earlier. Uh, <laughs> no, I wouldn't say. Okay, so Sean, what are you trying to do when you scream at someone and call them names? You're trying to destroy them. You're trying to erase them because they threaten you. Now, I'm not saying this in all situations in life, but in a love situation, your girlfriend and all that, you say things because you wish to dominate her, and you wish to dominate her because you're not taught how to negotiate. You were raised in a household where it was win-lose. Whoever screamed the loudest and dominated the most and used the most abusive terms is the one who won. And when you are raised in a Lord of the Flies verbal abuse hyper-escalation environment, that's what you know. Like, why do you speak English? Because you were raised in an English-speaking household. And why do you scream to destroy? 
call in like the scud missiles of abusive language because that's what you learned as the way to win. And it's very painful to change that. The reason that we repeat our parents' behavior is so we don't have to judge them. You understand? So we do what our parents do because to change it is to judge our parents. And throughout most of human history, offspring who judged their parents didn't do very well at all. And so we have a deep biological evolutionary block within us to judge our parents morally, to find them significantly wanting in the ethical realm. Very, very difficult for us to do, very painful for us to do. And it feels almost suicidal because, of course, throughout most of human history, it kind of was. I mean, children died a lot in human history. Uh, there was not enough food to go around a lot in human history. And so the children who pleased their parents the most or were of the most utility to their parents tended to do well. And the children in a, a time of scarce resources and long winters and scant food and water, if you didn't please your parents, you just might not get quite as much and you might not do as well. And so you have to, so it's really, really tough to judge your parents. And there's pluses to that and minuses to that. And, and I'm a bit more ambivalent about this than I was when I was younger. But nonetheless, philosophy demands that we uh, judge individuals, not categories, right? So we don't say, um, well, honor thy mother and thy father as categories, no matter what they do, right? If your father has molested you or your mother beat you senseless or whatever, you can't honor them because they're not honorable people. They're evil people. And it's not like, well, they just did a bit of evil actions. Like, they're actually evil people. You know, if you kill someone, you're a murderer forever. If you murder someone, if you kill someone, not in self-defense. And uh, if, you, if you beat your children, uh, repeat it. Like, okay, so once you, you hit them, you lose your temper, and you're like horrified at what you did. I'm so sorry. And you get help, and you deal with your temper, which you're doing here, Sean, which is great. Not that you hit your girlfriend, but... So you can, you can smoke a cigarette and still live. You can drink till you're drunk once in a while, and you're not an alcoholic. But if you have these repetitive habits, and you have spent years hitting your children or screaming at your children, I'm sorry, you just, it's now irrevocable in terms of your character. So you have to look at how you were raised. You have to judge if how you were raised is the right way to live. There's a great play I was in many years ago called the Seagull by Anton Chekhov. And this, this young artist is yelling at his girlfriend. And there's this doctor who doesn't yell at him back. It was very powerful for me when I watched this scene. I wasn't in it. And the doctor said, no, 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 not right. Not the way. Like he's this young, volatile artist screaming at his girlfriend. And the doctor says, no, 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 not right. Not the way. Not the way. And just the gentleness of that, rather than, what the hell are you doing screaming it? Like, just the gently, just, mm, not right, not the way. Remember thinking that, watching that, being really moved by that, standing in the aisle of the, or the, the, the wing of the theater. I was a great actor. I, I still remember who he was. It was Rick Roberts. Anyway, um, but it's not right. It's not the way. You have to change the habits you were raised with to conform with objective moral virtues. And you can't be screaming abusive people you claim to love because then you destroy that love, any capacity or possibility of that love. Love is such a vulnerable position. You open your heart to people, you let them rummage around your innards and your history and your vulnerabilities, and they know so much about you. 
It's like the architect who designed the building knows exactly where to place the explosive to take it down. You open yourself wide. And I'm, I'm in a tiny little way, I did this in the documentary, right? Talking, not hiding my passion, not like putting on a brave face, not saying, oh, don't shoot this, I'm too emotional. Just like, this is what's happening for me. Be vulnerable. But in order to be vulnerable, people need to be able to trust you. To be able to trust you. They have to know that you're not going to abuse them. Doesn't mean you'll never hurt them because sometimes you'll say things, oh, you've gained weight or whatever may upset them. But if it's true, it has to be dealt with. So this is why I say to people, you have to judge your parents. Nobody is immune from the judgment of philosophy because it's universal. Well, okay, a few crazy, crazy, crazy people. But they don't tend to stay parents. They tend to become homeless. All right. So I hope that helps, Sean. Ah. Thank you for inspiring us all, says Matthew Littlejohn. Is Cernovich a psyop? Or does he just play one on the internet? <laughs> no, he's not a psyop. And uh, Hoax is going to be very good. Hoax is, is, it is very good. And um, I'm sure they'll get it out very soon. So, no, he is not a psyop. Uh, Undisclosed says, Stefan, your courage is inspiring. Keep challenging the largest social issues we face. You're helping to create a better environment to discuss, spread awareness, and research these issues. Much love. Well, thank you. Much love back to you too, my friend. I really, really appreciate that. And you know what I said in Poland in the bar scene? I was going to say scene. It was real. Oh, and, and if you watch this and you have the recording of all of it, let me know. I couldn't record it because my daughter had my phone. But anyway, um, but um, yeah, if you, it, what's, what's the movie? Oh, man, I always forget the name of this. It's about a bear. The Edge, I think it's called, with Alec Baldwin and Anthony Hopkins. Uh, and uh, what one man can do, another can do. Uh, you just have to see one person doing it and, and, quote, surviving, and now it becomes possible to do. Right? So Jordan Peterson, when talking about race and IQ, said, I want to talk about these issues because people get killed for doing so. I was like, no, if you, I mean, it's tough because you have to come at this delicate question from a place of love. And I really, really do. I want so many people to be so much happier with their lives. But that means actually confronting reality, actually confronting things that are true and real in the world, not having the petty delusions of immaturity and resentment, but accepting reality and truth and science and facts for what they are. The road forward to happiness must go through the clarity, the eye-burning, skin sunburning radiance of truth. Though it hurts our eyes, though it may burn us from time to time, it burns away only the garbage and leaves us pure and whole and true. So it is just something we, we have to do. And there's certainly a lot of people who will lie to you about that kind of stuff. So it's very kind. I really, really appreciate those kind words. All right, here we go. Marek says, that one is my, oh, this, that one, this donation, is my thanks for the George Washington video. And there is more to Poland than you know. Stefan, you did not have enough time to learn our history and its nuances, but I'm very happy seeing my culture being highlighted. Yes, absolutely. I, I'm fully, I fully accept that. Uh, there's more to Poland than, uh, than I was able to get uh, in, in seven days. And the reading uh, ahead of time and so on. So, All right. Well, it was nice to see. Certainly, it was nice to see people, a lot of people, a couple thousand people watching the video. It's a strange thing. It's a strange thing, you know? I guess it's like being a little Marty Scorsese, well, I repeat myself, uh, in the back of the theater while people are watching some movie. But um, 
All right, uh, can do a couple more cues if you got them. You can, of course, uh, throw in a super chat. And you know, if again, if you if you do um, if you like the documentary, uh, it's pretty expensive. If you could go to freedomainradio.com forward slash donate or fdrurl.com forward slash donate. Uh, I would appreciate that, but uh, let's see here. Um, questions. Uh, combination of genetics and upbringing. Yeah, so, you know, I mean, as far as I know, the maximum that they can find for the genetics of intelligence, 80%. You say, well, that's pretty high. It's like, yeah, but it's a lot lower than 100. <laughs> and so we can do a lot with that. And it's funny, you know, some people who think that I'm like, anti-Hispanic or, or anti-black or something like that. It's like, dudes, I have been talking about privatizing government schools publicly for 12 years straight. I have done presentations on it. I have talked about it repeatedly, the evils of government schools. I did an interview with Dr. Gray uh, at School as a Prison many years ago. I have been talking about the need to privatize schools. Now, there is some tertiary challenging but possible upswings in intelligence if black kids go to charter schools or to private schools or, you know, just, it, it, it should not be the way that it is. I mean, if you look at the schools in Detroit with blacks and all the government schools, it's absolutely atrocious what is going on in the inner cities in this nonsense, non-education that's occurring. So it's just kind of funny, you know, like I'm actually talking about something that would so enormously benefit the black community, but I'm anti-black. Or if I talk about single motherhood, like the scourge of single motherhood, well, it's terrible, terrible in the black community. When I was talking to the Reverend Jesse Lee Peterson, he was what saying it was 76% uh, illegitimate births in the black community. Like that's wretched, that's appalling. And so much could be done to help the black community in this area. So just all these things that I've actually talked about. So it's funny because you say, oh, well, if you talk about race and IQ, you become a defeatist. It's like, no, no, no. It's quite the opposite if you understand the facts because if you only have 20% to play with. And I don't know if all the race and IQ stuff is only 20%. I'm just, the genetics of intelligence for a particular population is 80% in late teens. I don't know what it is. But let's say it's 80%, just for the sake of argument. Then you, you know, you, you really want to focus on those 20%. Because if everyone says, well, the reason the blacks don't do well or uh, Hispanics don't do well is because of white racism, then what you do is you spend all your time screaming at whites that they're racist. But if that's not the problem, you're not actually helping these communities. It's so frustrating. It's so frustrating. It's like there's this old joke. <laughs> this is my introduction to philosophy when I was a kid. Here we go. Here's my big philosophy joke that I heard when I was six or seven. Guy comes out of a bar, and there's another guy who's on his hands and knees in the pool of light cast by a lamppost. And he says to the guy, well, what are you doing? And the guy says, I dropped, I dropped my my wallet here, and I can't find it. And the guy's like, oh, well, that sucks. I got a few minutes. Sure, I'll, you know, he, he sort of sits there. They're lifting up garbage. They're looking under bushes. And wherever the light is, right, they're looking for this guy's wallet. 10 minutes go past, 20 minutes, half an hour. They can't find the wallet. So the guy who came out of the bar says to the guy who was looking for the wallet, I don't know, man, like, it's not here. Like, we've checked everywhere. It's not, it's not here. It's not anywhere near this lamppost. Are you, like, did you drop it here? Guy says, no. 
I dropped it at the other end of the parking lot. And he says, well, why are you looking here? And he says, but there's no light over there. <laughs> if you're looking in the wrong place, you will 100% never find what you're looking for. And if you're looking for all the problems of minorities and white racism, you won't help those minorities. And it doesn't solve the problem of racism to occlude race and IQ. All it does is inflame racism against white people because all the problems that statistically can be ascribed to IQ to a very, very large degree get put on the feet of whites. You can only think it solves the problem of racism if you're perfectly comfortable with racism against whites. So, all right. <laughs> all right, here we go. Bill Burr is an idiot? <gasps> How dare, how dare you slander someone with a very similar hairdo. Uh, Bill Burr is an idiot. I think, didn't he have a go some years ago at my story of your enslavement video? I don't know. I still like him. He's funny. He is funny. He's a funny guy. He's a good, a good jester. All right, Steph. Oh, don't get me started on UPB. Oh, you crack dealer. All right, Steph, at what age could a person legally sign contracts in a stateless society? Bonus points for mentioning UPB. UPB, there we go. Bonus points. Achieved! So, um, legally signed contracts in a stateless society. I don't know. That's a very interesting question. And it's not something that I would be able to answer because you're talking about the complex interplay of children raised peacefully and freely and negotiated with and not yelled and hit and beaten and miseducated and propagandized government schools. But I think, I think as soon as they start earning their own money, then they can sign contracts. All right. Is IQ even a valid measurement of intelligence? Yes, it is. Stefan, please write an autobiography. I would buy it. Well, you know, <laughs> funny story. Funny story. I actually have started writing an autobiography. But the problem is, I have to write about people who are pretty identifiable. And that's a challenge. So I'm still working on that. <laughs> I'm still working on that. So. Uh, it would be, uh, I'd love to write it. And it certainly is very interesting. Uh, any chance for an interview with Elon Musk in the future? Just don't answer everything's possible. I don't know, does he do philosophy? I generally try to keep people towards that. Um, so, uh, how is Michael doing? He's doing fine. I drink all the time and smoke all day, but I also hate myself. I'm even with the world. Okay, so if you've got bad habits, <laughs> here's the thing. I have my bad habits. I chew my nails from time to time. So if you have bad habits, you have to ask yourself, who in your past do your bad habits benefit? In other words, was there anyone who said you were useless, you were good for nothing, you were self-destructive, you were careless, you were right? If, if those voices get implanted in your head, then they can quite often end up with you performing self-destructive behaviors on behalf of somebody who wants you to destroy yourself. So look in the past and see if there was anyone who wished your destruction and then you can look at your bad habits, whether it's smoking or drinking, or it can be dangerous sports or thrill sex with dangerous people or whatever, right? So really look at anybody in your past who may have wanted you to fail in a pretty important way. So, uh, Stefan, will you continue to speak the truth and nothing but the truth, no matter what the children of the lie throw at you? I don't know what children of the lie is, but um, yes, <laughs> yes. I've, uh, Stefan, does your family have any pets? Well, that's interesting. So my daughter loves lizards and we had uh, a lizard named, well, 
Lizzie. We had a lizard for about two and a half years, but with all the travel I've been doing, and plus the fact that she wants to come now, it became kind of complicated, so we did find a good home uh, for the lizard. And uh, I love pets myself. I'm a big dog guy. Cats, you know, kind of cool, but I'm a big dog guy. But the problem is, uh, well, they need to be walked a lot. It's kind of cold in Canada a lot, and uh, they like to get up early. Uh, not so much me. And uh, so uh, I would love to have dogs, but uh, I think it will not particularly work. The lizard is a crypto <laughs> reptilian. Oh, you guys are fun. Dog is great. I thought you were going to say, I thought that was a mistype for dog is great. All right. Uh, anyone else? Anyone else? Thoughts on propertarianism. Kurt Doolittle. I, I don't know what that means. Sorry. Uh, Steph, what's the end result if you deny that ACEs, adverse childhood experiences, impact you after childhood but have a high ACE score? Well, if you deny childhood pain, then you will be defenseless against evildoers, right? So if you were harmed by evildoers as a child and you deny that pain, what's the pain for? Like, why do we even feel pain about childhood evils that we experience, that we're inflicted? Why would we feel pain? Well, it's to prevent us from being in the same situation again. Like, you, you know, as a kid, everyone did this, right? I remember when I was a kid, there was a, a knife. I must have been four or so. I, there was a knife on top of the stove next to an element. We had a gas stove when I was a kid. And um, by the way, I hope this sounds better. I spent, <laughs> I spent um, a good chunk of yesterday putting foam up in the studio. Um, that's, uh, it's very gluey, <laughs> still a little bit in here. But I think it's helped with the echo, right? It's good, right? So, and I, I, I saw the knife was right by the flame and I knew something about it being hot, but I touched it anyway and it hurt. Same thing when I touched the nettle when I was in Africa when I was six. It hurt. And what is your pain for? It's to prevent you from doing it again, right? You don't want to do it again. So pain is aversive, right? So if you have childhood pain and you pretend that you didn't, you say, I'm fine, it made me better, it made... Or if you reverse it and say, it made me a tougher, better person and these kids need solid wallop, right? If you turn it either to something that didn't hurt you or to something that hurt you for the best or, or made you a better person, then you have no defense against evildoers in the future because you have said to your body, to your younger self, to your emotions, you've said, I don't care what you feel. I'm recasting it in my preferences as an adult. And generally it means your parents, like if your parents hit you or beat you or whatever, and then you normalize it, that suits their needs. It doesn't suit your need. It doesn't help you. It in fact hurts you because how are you going to keep evil people out of your life? If you praise what evil people did to you in the past, or you are morally neutral about it, or you don't care, or you have no defense, right? Like if I touched that knife that was super hot on that stove in London when I was four, if I touched that knife and felt nothing or felt a little tickle and it was fun and it gave me a thrill, well, I would do it more. I'd have no defense and it would be terrible. So you need to acknowledge your past pain. It's the only way to protect yourself in the future. Ah, oh, documentary praise. <laughs> you have my attention. Uh, let's see here. Uh, great work, Steph. Would you say that most mainstream media is fake news? Is Poland free of this? Also, do you like Guinness? <laughs> I, used to, I used to have this kind of joke when I first tried Guinness, and it was like, it's kind of thick. It's like, you don't pour Guinness. You, you go to the bartender and you say, hey, can you saw me off a slice of Guinness? <laughs> it's like eating a uh, half jellyfish frisbee. But uh, 
I don't mind it. I, I tend to really prefer gayer beers. I'm be, be honest with you. I, I, not only do I prefer like the lightest gayest beer that you can find, I also like it with a little splash of lime cordial. So let me just say I drink that with a little paper umbrella and a little finger up in the air. So uh, yes, Poland is not free of fake news and they have their own problems with socialists and uh, it's just a mess. It's just a mess. Who is the best leader in human history? I think we'd have to start with Socrates. Uh, any advice for a man starting a business that is also newly married? I'm worried about getting the balance right between the two. Thanks. Well, you need to negotiate this with your wife. And you need to say, listen, how much time with me are you willing to forego in order to secure our financial freedom in the future? So work out with that. Let's see here. Yo, Steph, where would you draw the line between benevolent collectivism and dangerous mob mentality? In the correctness of the assumptions that draw people together. If the mob is basing its unity on truth, or if a group is basing its unity on truth, then it's wonderful. And there was a lot of truth in Poland, which I tried to talk about in the documentary. If they're basing it on hysterical in-group preference and out-group hatred, then it's dangerous. So, and I honestly had not seen the, the former. I'd really not seen the former. Uh, the truth about Dante Alighieri would be cool. Uh, the, the Paradise Lost guy. That would be cool. That would be cool. Uh, Stefan, are 18-year-olds truly adults and ready for real-world challenges? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Are you kidding me? fantastic. You have to look in, in history and, and see just how powerful young people can be if they're given scope for their talents and abilities. There is a fearlessness, there is a, a freshness and an intellectual power to the young that is should be unleashed. And, and absolutely, gosh, I can't remember his name, if you can remind me in the chat. He wrote the book, uh, Weapons of Mass Distraction, about uh, the schools. Uh, I saw him many years ago at a libertarian conference. He's got a whole um, book, in, uh, a whole opening chapter or two in one of his books about how uh, many young people have done amazing things throughout history. So, yes. Uh, me, would you go back in time to prevent your abuse as a child? You'll probably be a different person. Yeah, of course. Of course. That, that you, you can't ever justify uh, the abuse of a child. So, yes, absolutely. Would I be a different person? I would. I would be a different person. There would be strengths and weaknesses. But overall, it would be better. If I thought child abuse could produce a good person, I wouldn't be the parent I am. <sighs> All right. Uh, Stefan, why doesn't my university have any Ayn Rand in its library? I guess they're pretty anti-Semitic and anti-feminist, I guess, right? All right. I think we are just about done. Yeah, John Bonham was about 18 when he joined the band. Well, I don't think that went particularly well for him, did he? Didn't he? He died of alcoholism uh, and so on. What is your stance on the death penalty? I have no objections to it in principle. I think in a free society, see, the way in a free society these kind of punishments would work is if, uh, if you aggressed against someone 
then you would have to pay restitution. And if you didn't have the money to pay restitution and or you would then be put to work in a confined setting in order to pay that restitution. So if you murder someone, then they may say, I want you put to death. And that to me would be the right of the victim's family or the victim's loved ones. Or the victims could say, I want him working for me and giving me a million dollars for the next 30 years. Uh, and I don't know how that would be negotiated, but that would be, uh, that would be the way to go. All right. Thanks so much for changing the world. Uh, thank you. Tucker has fallen prey to the PC culture. It is really tough. It is really tough. Listen, I, I want to, this is going to sound odd, but I want to make a tiny, tiny plea for sympathy for those who don't deal with the issues that I deal with. So you have to design your life if you're smart, right? You have to design your life a long way down the road. So I didn't just pop onto the scene and madly rush in where, fools rush in where angels fear to tread. So here we go. You have to design your life a long way forward. I've certainly made mistakes. Don't get me wrong. It hasn't gone all according to plan, but there was a plan, which is good. Then you know if you deviated from it or not. But there has been a plan. There's a reason why I never went for monetization. There's a reason why I never went for ads. There's a reason why I don't sell my books through any sort of mainstream publisher or haven't tried to do that, because that is a source by which I can be controlled. I can't stand it if I'm hiding essential information that I believe to be true, that I know to be true, from a world that desperately needs it. To me, that's appalling behavior. Like, I don't know how people do it. I really don't. Lots of people out there know the race and IQ stuff inside and out. Some of them are even psychologists who studied this in school. They know this stuff inside and out. And to not talk about it at a time when rampant migration is happening all over the Western world is appalling. It's absolutely appalling to me. But that's because I have designed my life, this show, and my incentives to tell you guys the truth. And that's what I hope you donate uh, to, to me for, and that's what you share my videos and, and podcasts for, and that's why you support what it is that I do. And I, like, I, I simply, it's something that Socrates said many years ago, and it's not an argument but it is a lived experience, which certainly counts for me. And when he was facing Miletus in the trial, when he was accused of, of corrupting the young and of not believing in the gods of the city, Socrates made many great arguments. But he also said, I have a daemon, not the mat kind, but the D-A-E-M-O-N kind, it's like a a, a, a succulent uh, incubus or, or something like this, a little goblin that sits on your shoulder. He said, I have a, a daemon that sits on my shoulder and, and any time in my life where I have deviated from the path of virtue or truth, he nags at me. He lashes at me with tiny little fiery whips of bad conscience. And I said, as, he says, as I stand in front of you, O men of Athens, facing down my accuser, telling you the truth, standing up for what I have always argued for and believed in, the reason I feel no fear is because my conscience is quiet. The daemon is not lashing me. And all is calm and peaceful in my interior. And though a thousand people may scream out that I am the worst criminal known to man, if my conscience is quiet, no fundamental part of me can hear them. For me, if I start to 
withhold information that is essential that I know is important and valuable from a world that so desperately needs it. I literally can't stand myself. Like I, I can't look at myself in the mirror. I like I feel like I have um, some sort of psoriasis or hives in my body. It may be hysterical, but it is the foundation. And I, knowing that about myself, knowing that about myself, I'd really designed from the very beginning, 12 years ago, really designed what the hell I was doing so that I could escape external control. So that I could escape external control and be responsible to you. Now, if I tell the truth, I tend to do all right. You guys donate, the show continues, I can expand into things like this documentary. If I tell lies, I think we have a relationship by now, you'd kind of know. I mean, you would, I would know. And I, right? I, I, I literally would not be able to like, you know, I'd be like, you know what I'd be like? The lies would be as obvious on my face, like those little goofy videos on America's Funniest Home Videos where the kid has chocolate all over his face and his mom says, have you been eating the chocolate? And he says, no. Chocolate all over his face. Can't do it. Now, other people, no need to get into Nathan, but other people have... Maybe they didn't design their lives or their lives have kind of happened to them to the point where if they start telling the truth, they get greatly harmed. You know, they don't get their cushy speaking gigs. They don't get to roam around the world and pretend to be edgy, right? They don't get their lucrative book deals. They don't get to go on mainstream television anymore. And that is, for some people, a great harm. I mean, you think that some people in the world might have gained enough FU money that it could just tell the truth now, but I think that that kind of approval gets addictive. So I understand they want tenure, they want to keep their relatively peaceful lives, they, you know, want to dip their toe into controversy and be perceived as edgy, maybe even part of the uh, intellectual dark web. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's just kind of a game, it's kind of a sham. It's so my life has been designed where my incentive is to tell the truth and other people's lives have kind of happened to them or they've stepped into it or they've been lured into it to the point where for them telling the truth now would be enormously costly. And it's just a matter of who you want to have as your visionaries. Do you want to have as your visionaries people who've designed their life to have maximum truth potential from the ground up or people who are like, ooh, I could say that, but then uh, my speaking gigs might be canceled or, you know, I'm... It's just in different choices, different choices, I suppose. <laughs> Intellectually destructive weasels, well. I think, um, you know, the other thing about the IQ stuff, it's nothing to do with race. The other thing about the IQ stuff is it does give you a kind of noblesse oblige. Like I have a, a good brain, I have a good communication ability. You know, like I, I didn't have a script for the documentary. This is just thoughts I had. I'm speaking out, Kaylin's like, hey, let's shoot on the train. I'm like, okay, let's add this stuff I've been thinking about. And I can just, get it out there. And it's a, a wild ability to me. And because I have this ability and I understand, I didn't earn this, right? I mean, I've honed it and all that, but it's like a great singing voice. I mean, you can train it, but you, you have it or to some degree or you don't. And if I have this ability and I didn't earn it, I need to use it for the planet, for you guys, for the betterment of things. It's I'm lucky in that way, or unlucky, I guess, sometimes, occasionally it feels that way, but... All right. Act on Instincts has said, the premise of communism is property theft. The premise of capitalism is non-aggression. Your introduction to sophistry is one of your best. Communism and capitalism, both poorly named. 
Any thoughts? Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, they should be called violence and peace. <laughs> they should be called murder and salvation. They should be called disease and health. Communism and capitalism, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of the name. I, I don't really like the name at all. I mean, there's capital in every economic system. Anyway, so, uh, but, but remember, I mean, capitalism was mostly named by the enemies of capitalism, right? Das Kapital was Marx's big incomprehensible book. Well, not incomprehensible, just dumb and wrong. All right, uh, Sean says, regarding my question about temper control earlier, your answer had a great impact on me. I've scheduled therapy slash anger management for Monday. I need to change for her and me. Thank you for your insight. Sean, that is a brave, noble, beautiful, magnificent, wise, courageous, life-changing decision. I wish you the very best. Drop me a line and let me know how it goes. Good for you, good for you, good for you. Um, all right, Billabrin sent in a little donation. Thank you very much. Mr. Demented says, Diogenes, dogs, and philosophers do the greatest good and get the fewest rewards. Oh, that's a quote from Diogenes. Yeah, dogs do a lot of good, and, and pets can be very good for people, although I don't like the fact that women have cats uh, instead of babies. I think that they should not have cats. I'd never ban it, but I just think it's a cheap way to avoid the pain of making bad decisions. Uh, okay, uh, it would be nice. You guys are too much fun. Okay, a couple more minutes. It would be nice to hear your thoughts on how we could ensure that a national defense dispute resolution organization would operate effectively and efficiently without an obvious product for consumers to assess. I must ask you, my friend, have you read my free book, Practical Anarchy? You can listen to it on headphones and all that, freedomainradio.com slash free. It's, I talk about DROs quite a lot there. All right. Oh, somebody with a Polish name, I'm going <laughs> to... I'm not going to try. I'm sorry. Uh, sent uh, money. Uh, is that Australian? I don't know. Every now and then I'll get like some super chat, which is a huge number. And it, um, it's not like, wow, yay. But you just know it's some penny currency. All right. Uh, Typic83 says, do you think Europe has a chance to go back from globalist road peacefully at this point? P.S. Thank you for the Poland documentary. It means a lot. Well, thank you for your kind words. It's not a long window and it's not a wide window but I think it, the window is still is open. Stefan, is Brexit dead? Yes. Yeah, I'll, I'll do a whole video on that probably next week. Um, I worked long and hard on Brexit, and uh, yeah, I mean, they just Theresa May just signed the Global Migration Compact uh, when Brexit was all about controlling immigration. Like, more, more Canadians want immigration to be the same or reduced, and I assume reduced, 80% of Canadians want immigration to collapse, because Canada's going through the fastest rate of demographic change, which means demographic replacement in the world. In the world! It's another reason why I had some interest in Poland. <laughs> so. All right, here we go. A couple more. It would be nice to hear your thoughts. Oh, sorry, that was the, I, I saw DRO and I saw D&D. Why? Because I don't have my glasses on. All right, uh, what else do we have here? Well, it's interesting because a bunch of French generals just accused Emmanuel Macron of treason for signing the Global Migration Pact. So part of me thinks, ah. anyway, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see. All right. Super Chat, somebody says, unfortunately, this feature is not yet available in your region. Remember, if you want to donate, I would really uh, appreciate it. Um, freedomainradio.com slash donate. You can just do it, do it there. Ah, if we lose the West, would you defect to Poland? 
You know, it's funny because when I start to think about that kind of loss, it saps my will to fight. So I don't really want to think about that kind of loss. In a podcast, you said that all the guy who sees sugar babies was going to have an unconscious revolt. What does that mean? You're the hero we need. Okay. Oh, boy. It's a big topic. It's actually a phrase from my therapist who had me watch some very lengthy British miniseries whose name I can't recall at the moment about a guy who's in a wheelchair with terrible skin illnesses uh, and... Um, she said that his body was in full, his, his unconscious was in full revolt. You know, there's a famous tagline from a movie, The Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which I watched a bunch of times when I was a kid. And not, not as many times as Kramer versus Kramer, but anyway. Um, we are not alone, right? So in your head, you have an identity. And you think that you're in charge. It's like that line from that song, Crazy. Charles Barkley, you think you're in control. Ha, 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 bless your soul. But um, when you accept and understand that you're not alone in your head, I call it the ecosystem. It's your identity, and your identity is an ecosystem of things you've read, people who've impacted you, contradictory ideas you had. It's an ecosystem. It's not one thing. And strength comes from recognizing that all aspects of you must have a seat at the table of your identity. I have an inner mother who is here to protect me from the outer mother. If I can't enlist her help, she will continue to berate me. If I can't make her feel safe, my inner mother, then she won't relax her rigid defensive and attacking posture and release her energies for me to be creative. I know this sounds all very hippy-dippy, but it's real. It's real. It's, and I did an interview, um, family systems therapy guy, you can look at it, but a full unconscious revolt is when you have been living against the truth of your existence to the point where you end up underfunctioning or counterfunctioning in life. So for me, I was talking all about integrity and virtue when I was younger, but I was surrounded by corrupt people, people who would not admit their corrupt and sometimes evil actions. And uh, part of that was entrepreneurial greed and a, a desire or belief that money would give me security when all that money did was make me a target for people to prey on my talents. But um, my full unconscious revolt was switch went off. You shall sleep no more. It's funny because I played the title role in Macbeth when I was younger. It's an incredible play. It's an incredible play. God, that language. I strive to, to get 1% of 1% of Shakespeare's language. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in this petty bass from day to day to the last syllable of recorded time. And all of our yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death. Out, out. Brief candle. Life's but a walking shadow. A poor player who struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. There's a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. God, 
knits up the raveled sleeve of care. The language is incredible in that play. It's the most concentrated polysyllabic brain meld that you can experience in this world. And many years, well, I, wasn't, I can't remember how many years it was since I played Macbeth. I was living with the wrong woman. I had proposed marriage and it hadn't, and then, then I withdrew that proposal of marriage, but I was just drifting, circling the drain. And because I wasn't waking up to life, I couldn't get to sleep at night. Because I was sleepwalking through life, I couldn't get to sleep at night. And this insomnia, which is this peculiar kind of torture for me, like I'm okay with physical pain. You know, like I just, I had a tooth out that never descended from when I was a kid. I had a tooth out a month or two ago, and they basically took it out with like a, a cherry bomb and a backhoe. And I'm fine, you know, it's okay. It's like, it's uncomfortable, it's not the end of the world. Lack of sleep, that's not good for me. That's really like, oh man, is that never a good day for me when I don't have enough sleep. And my full unconscious revolt was no sleep for you. No sleep until you wake up. And I didn't know what was going on. I literally had no idea what was going on. I just couldn't sleep. Never had a huge problem sleeping. When I was a kid in boarding school, I remember sitting in my little metal bunk bed, making mountains out of my knees under the covers and having lava spray go up and trying to amuse myself back in the days, decades before tablets. So full unconscious revolt can be any number of things. It can be a lack of sleep. It can be a sudden illness. It can be... Um, crippling anxiety, it can be uh, bouts of rage, it can be your unconscious is saying, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. You're not living right, not right, not the way. And um, I think you might have that. So I think that's what it, okay, last couple of questions. You guys are too much fun. Thank you so much. What do we got here? Great job to you, Kaylin, and the whole team on the documentary. Very moving. I got a little choked up myself, so thrilled to see you guys move into docs. This is how we change the culture. Yeah, a bit of a risky. You know, I'm not an idiot. I mean, I know you guys don't think I am, but I mean, I know. And I start talking about white nationalism at the end. I know that's a soundbite. I know that. But I promised myself and you that I would be as honest as I could be. Man, that sounds bad. I would be honest. I would be honest with you guys. I don't know if it's white nationalism. I don't know if it's Christianity. I don't know if it's the brutality of the 20th century in Poland, the last 61 years or so. I don't know. I don't know what allowed me to move freely without fear and to speak openly without violent retribution in Poland. I don't know. It's what I said on the live stream some month or two ago, which is like, as far as the white nationalist arguments go, I'm open to hearing the case. I don't know what made Poland someplace where I could bend the ear of some very senior politicians and give them information that they desperately <laughs> needed to have. You guys don't know what I do behind the scenes. You don't know what I do behind the scenes, and I can't talk about it, but that's fine. So. Um, yes, I appreciate that. I, I, I'm very pleased. I, I would like to do more. I mean, I like the studio. Don't get me wrong. I like the studio, but don't you guys think? Let me know what you think in the chat. Don't you think there's something kind of cool and special about being out of the studio? There is a kind of concentratedness to it, isn't there? A kind of focus 
that's sort of hard to achieve in the same environment, if that makes sense. <sighs> what do you guys say? Behind the, oh, I don't know. <laughs> guys, guys with your brackets. Give it up and do something amazing. Stop nagging about other people. Okay. Molly is propagandizing politicians. That sounds good. Oh, the things I could tell you. They're in the vault. But the things I could tell you about the effects that I'm having. I'm telling you. Ah, all right. I think. Um, so somebody said, thanks for the answer. Here's another five dollars. Thank you. Need that explanation like you have no idea. One day I'll give back to you what you gave me. Take care. Actually, that's nice. It sounds a little sinister, not in content. I'll give you back to me, right? But uh, thank you. That's, uh, that's very kind. All right. Steph, do you know much about the golden one? Um, he's pretty buff. <laughs> I think that's all I know. I'm afraid it's like squatting Slav. I don't really know much about them, but I do enjoy his comments. Um, it's very quiet in Poland right now. I'd like to believe it's the dark, but really it's just 3.30 a.m. Yeah, and I listen, I, this is probably never going to get anywhere, but I really do apologize to the Polish people for premiering a documentary about Poland without Polish subtitles. I hang my head in shame. I'm so sorry. Like, it genuinely was never my intention, but it's just the way that it worked out, and I am very sorry. It is the least respectful thing <laughs> in some ways that I could have done, and I, I really am sorry. It wasn't out of any uh, inattentional lack of, of, of focus on the, on the issue and so on, but um, all right. Uh, thanks, Steph. God bless you, although you're still atheist. Just like the cultural Marxists want, but okay, yeah. You know, I know there's some discussions about where I'm heading spiritually, and uh, ah, if you'd have told me I'd have some positive things about to say about collectivism a month ago, I'd have been like, get out of town on a pony. All right. <laughs> you're wrong about spirituality, says Double Dog Bear. You're wrong about spirituality because the ethereal architecture of nature's transcendent resonance within the energetic dimensional cosmology word salad, crystal chakra alignment or something. You sound like Vox Day, quoting Jordan Peterson. All right. All right. All right. All right. Too tempting. Too tempting. What's your take on Q? It's just a way to think something's happening rather than make things happen yourself. So, no, I don't believe in it at all. Someone can contribute closed captions in Polish. That's very true. But I want an expert. I want an expert. So... All right, I'm going to uh, close down this. Um, delightful though you guys are, um, it's been, oh, I guess, almost three hours since um, I started the documentary. So please, uh, please, please, if you could, um, like, subscribe, and share this documentary. I'm very, very proud of it, and I just want to, you know, to Stefan, who organized it, to Kaylin, who shot it, to other people who helped along the way. Um, I really, really appreciate it. Uh, it's wonderful to be part of a team that can produce such great work. And I think it is great work. Uh, I know I can do better, which is nothing on the filmmakers, nothing on anyone else, just me. Uh, I want to, you know, and now I've done it once, the next time is going to be uh, even better. And uh, I, I thank you guys so much again, once more, as always. And I really, really, really want you guys to, to get this into your heads and your hearts, how grateful I am what a team we make, I think, in producing great things in the world. And uh, I 
thank you guys so much for all of your incredibly kind support. And uh, I look forward to the next one. Uh, I'll find out what the donations are like and see whether we can spend the money on the next one or how much we can spend on the next one. And um, have yourselves a wonderful, wonderful evening. Um, Poland, I guess uh, you'll wake up with some captions, uh, uh, some subtitles. And love you guys so much. I look forward to your feedback going forward. I try to be your Prince of Reason as best I can. Let me know where I can improve. Thank you again so much for your support.